coming up on Facts from the Stacks. So we're going to go on a little detour here. We're going to talk about me graduating high school and the senior trip that I went on. (laughs) To Forks, Washington. To Forks, Washington. Are you serious? I just made that up. (laughs) No, I am. I am absolutely serious. Oh my gosh. I was just kidding. Welcome back, fellow library lovers and literature lunatics. Welcome, welcome. This is the Facts from the Stacks podcast presented by the Jackson Madison County Library. Episode two, Literature Facts. Literature Facts. (laughs) Welcome to Facts from the Stacks, a news and trivia podcast for book nerds and library lovers. Facts from the Stacks, created by the staff at the Jackson Madison County Library, is your library news and book-based trivia podcast. Join your hosts, Kelly and Shane, for what we're reading, what's happening in the library, and tons of trivia. We will have games and quizzes so you can follow along and test your knowledge, but also so we can stump other library staff. I'm Kelly. And I am Shane. And today we're going to talk about literature. Yeah. Authors, books, stuff like that. Yeah. Should be a fun time. Let's get started with what we've recently borrowed. One of the things that I have been reading, started reading, not very far in, is I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy. Such a good book. It sounds, it's just, it's hard to say Such that title. It's a scandalous title. It's a scandalous title. Yeah. Um, but, so you've obviously read it. Yes. Um, it is fascinating because I used to love iCarly. Oh, wow. Um, of course. That really fits you. It does, hey, doesn't it? Guy. It does. It, it does. <laughs> um, it's probably because I'm Freddie, 100%. <laughs> you so are. And now look at you producing this podcast. Here we are. <laughs> I feel like with child stars, we get to look back, but they're really messed up. Yeah. And like, so is she. But this is like the other side. Like we've come out the yeah. other side. Like she survived. She, she, she survived it. And she is just... Trying to heal yeah. from all of the damage that I would say Nickelode- say Hollywood, but it's Nickelodeon mm-hmm. <laughs> and and her own mother actually did to her. So that's heartbreaking, but really a fascinating read. Yeah, I loved it. I just finished The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Oh, we're very productive. Yeah, we're so productive. Um, it was very interesting. I really liked it. I read Atomic Habits like two months ago, maybe. Um, and this was kind of the predecessor to that book, I think, as far as the big writings on the topic. Um, but it was really interesting. I liked the structure of it. He kind of makes all of his points with stories and examples and case studies kind of thing, which for me is helpful um, when reading nonfiction to explain, like, here's this concept and here's how you should incorporate it. But like with the examples from. Yeah. Like here is that in practice kind of a situation. Yeah, it was good. So are we are we approaching productivity differently after having read it? He's very practical with like the system that you can implement. So, you know, if you're trying to establish or break a habit in your life, he talks about recognizing what cues you to do that habit, I think. Okay, so like 
setting yourself up for success by right. making sure that something triggers your yeah. Memory so it's very of it. formulaic of like if you want to break or start X habit, here's what you can do, which I think is helpful because a lot of times I go to read a nonfiction book about a particular topic and I finish it and I feel like I didn't really come out of it knowing any more about how to actually attack that issue, you know, whereas this, he gives you like, here's what you can do if you want to start a habit. That's really cool. That sounds productive. It's a good one. We'll be right back with more facts from the stacks. If you've been listening to us talk about the books we've been reading, but don't have the time to come in and check them out, there's a solution for you. The library has online resources so you can check out books without ever leaving home. With Libby and Hoopla, you can access thousands of books, audiobooks, movies, TV shows, and magazines, all in the palm of your hand. Check out the episode's description or check out the library's website, jmclibrary.org, for more information. Did you know? Did you know? Did you know? All right, you big know-it-all. Did you know? Did you know is our general trivia segment where we talk about today's topic. As we are doing literature and authors and book facts and things like that for this episode, I did a lot of looking into like weird stories from authors Mm. that are really well known. Um, So... Beatrix Potter, better known for, you know, writing Peter Rabbit. I decided to look up some information on her and Peter Rabbit was actually rejected for publishing six times. Ouch. I mean, it's a lot. For it to be such a staple in children's literature now, Mm -hmm. it's wild that six times it was looked at and they were like, no, we don't really want this. Yeah. Um, but she actually paid herself to get 200 copies of it printed to give to family and friends and to sell, um, kind of on the side, which is just wild to me that it started with just 200 little copies. Yeah. And publisher. Yeah. Yeah. And so among the people who ended up with a copy of the book was Sir. Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh, yes, of course. (laughs) Because why not Sherlock Holmes? Yeah. He bought a copy to give to his kids. So after he bought it for them and they could not stop talking about it, he kind of took her under his wing a little bit. Oh, okay. And she managed to get it traditionally published, but not before paying for two more runs of the book out of her own pocket. Wow. She, it just stayed self-published for a really long time. And finally it was traditionally published and, you know, you can find a copy of that book anywhere. And since the book has sold 45 million copies in 36 different languages. Wow. We love a self-made woman. Yeah. It's, it's just completely wild to think of, you know, and that's just one example. There are so many, authors that get rejected right off the bat and you're like are you kidding me yeah didn't when you said that the first thing that came to mind was didn't harry potter get rejected like several times yes that's interesting i feel like if you're the person that publisher that rejected that author how how do you feel now (laughs) how do you feel like especially especially harry potter yeah like whoa you you done goofed (laughs) you goofed big time (laughs) 
I had, speaking of Harry Potter, I had a fact. I don't think I wrote it down, but I saw that J.K. Rowling was the first author to make a billion dollars. Yeah, from her books. I do believe that is correct. So that's fun. There are some authors that I'm not going to mention. Um, James Patterson. Uh, (laughs) Um. But there are a lot of authors that do, it's not ghostwriting exactly, but like the Warrior Cats series that people go crazy yeah. for. So the author of those books is Aaron Hunter. That's what's on every Warrior Cats book. But Aaron Hunter is not a real person. Oh. And that's kind of like more common knowledge. Like it's someone that is hired to ghostwrite a book and then they take the company will take that and will put it under the name Aaron Hunter. Gotcha. So they pay the ghostwriter, all that. So that's not super surprising because there are half a million Warrior Cats books. <laughs> but what a lot of people don't know, and I didn't know until researching for this episode, is that the same is true of Carolyn Keene and Franklin W. Dixon that wrote Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. I saw something about that when I was researching, too. They're not real people. Yeah. Like, that's something that someone made a whole career out of, right? was like, yeah. this one guy started all these yes. like offshoots. Yes. So, for the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew... The there was like an imprint, like a publisher that is called the Straightmire Syndicate, which sounds like a crime family. True. Straight up sounds like a crime family. But they they would hire ghostwriters to come up with their Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys mysteries and then would take those and sell them to publishers who would then publish them under Carolyn Keene and Franklin W. Dixon. That's so interesting. It's completely, it's so weird to me. I mean, I guess it makes sense, like, when you think about it, that, like, not one person came up with all of those, like, books like that that have so many. But it's, it's, I don't know, it's one of those things that I guess you don't really think about. And, like, if you're going to try and do like a bait and switch on an author you're gonna do it to a kid because they're not going to to really you know the finer points of writing and how people write things yeah they wouldn't be able to tell necessarily yeah but i mean that's just crazy to me because i knew that about aaron hunter i had no idea that nancy had no clue from a library perspective though it's very convenient because american girl is kind of a pain in cataloging because you kind of want them all to be together, but they're all written by different authors. Yes, they are. So really like Nancy Drew and Aaron Hunter and all them are convenient from a library perspective because they'll all stay together. They're doing us a favor. Yeah. Because they all have the same author. Yeah. Quotes. Quote unquote. Quote unquote. Going back to Sherlock Holmes. Fun fact is that he never actually says elementary, my dear Watson. He does not. I don't remember what the quote is. He says like, it's like a whole paragraph what I saw. So he says elementary and then a few sentences. Like he says, my dear Watson all the time. Mm. And there's like one instance where he says them, you know, sort of within the same paragraph. Like within the same speech. Yeah. But he never actually says that. So that's one of those like Mandela effect quotes where they didn't say that. Like, beam me up, Scotty. That's not what he said. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's a, yeah, there are a lot of those. And I knew that he didn't say those together, but we just condensed them down into that. It's just funny, like, when your character's catchphrase, they never said it. 
Yeah, that's true. Like, what a world. I guess a lot of my focus ended up being on, like, children's authors for some reason. I found a lot of stuff about that. Um, but the author of The Little Prince, who we just had to look up how to say his name. Yeah. And we're still going to have a rough time. <laughs> um, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. Uh, he was a pilot. Hmm. And the whole story of The Little Prince is usually thought to be like really trippy and really weird like it's a really out there children's book doesn't make a lot of sense um and there's a reason for it and that is that um Antoine drew a lot of his inspiration for the little prince when he crash landed his plane oh. um, in the desert. Oh my. And he was dealing with dehydration oh, and wow. almost died um, while he was waiting to be rescued. So and he like hallucinated the plot of the Yes. <laughs> he absolutely hallucinated the ideas that eventually turned into the little prince. Wow. And yeah, I mean, so he just had very strong hallucinations that um, he said, yeah, you know what? That would make a great children's story. Yeah. Lemons out of lemonade. Absolutely. Wait, no. <laughs> lemonade, lemonade out, out of, of lemons. lemons. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, I mean, that's that's just a really, that's a weird one. Yeah. Interesting. What an interesting life. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've got a couple of Rapid fire. Rapid fire trivia. Facts about authors. All right. So L. Frank Baum, who wrote The Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. said in an interview in 1903 that the name Oz came from literally his file cabinet labeled O through Z. What? Like, you know how you have your file cabinets yeah, like, like A through F, blah, blah, blah. What? Oz came from O through Z. <laughs> that is such a random place. I know. But like but it that flows nicely. That just goes to show you, like, if you're writing something, you can pull that inspiration from True. anywhere. Hot writing tip. That is so crazy. Yeah. Okay. Another one. Um, John Steinbeck's new puppy Toby ate the original manuscript of Of Mice and Men. So his dog what? literally ate his work. Wow. Yeah. That's Toby. impressive. Come on, Toby. Come on, Toby. <laughs> and then um, Green Eggs and Ham by the iconic Dr. Seuss. Oh, no. Was written on a dare. So his publisher dared him to write a book using just 50 words. And that's how Green Eggs and Ham came about. Now, Did I, you have that same thing? I only know that because it was on my paper, too. Oh, I'm sorry. It's I fine. your facts. It's fine. Do you have more to share? Yes. Okay, yes, well, I do. The bet was also made for $50. Oh. So his publisher bet him $50 that he could not write it in exactly 50 words. That's festive. It does use exactly 50 words, and it has sold 8 million copies worldwide. It's at least one of his best-selling books, if not the best-selling one, and it uses the least amount of words. I think that's so funny. Yeah, it's hysterical. Yeah. Facts from the Stacks. We'll be right back. Summer's upon us and the library is a great place to spend time. Whether you like to spend your time at the pool or in the sun with a book, we have something for you. All Together Now is our theme this year and we're making sure that you can find your community here at the library. Whether it's reading or knitting or painting or gardening or coding or board games or cooking or video games or traveling or crafts or photography or sports or music or Pokemon or movies or Harry Potter or... You can find all the things that you like here at the library all summer long, starting June 3rd. 
check our website or social media for a full list of events. My last author fact is about Agatha Christie. So we all know her as the, you know, quintessential like mystery writer, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but there was a time back in good old 1926 Can't that she here. she just disappeared for two weeks. Just Ooh. completely disappeared off the face of the planet. Oh, wow. So she found out that her husband was having an affair. <gasps> and her husband said that he wanted a divorce. Oh, heck no. And she just left. <laughs> she didn't say anything to she him. She just left. <laughs> oh, my. Um, so her car was found abandoned mm-hmm. quite a distance from their home. And everybody got into a huge, like, uproar about it. And all of that started a 15,000-person manhunt. Oh, my God. For Agatha Christie. <laughs> um, because she just she was just gone. Her car was there. They didn't know where she went. So we're going to back up a little bit. Uh-huh. And we're going to pull Sherlock Holmes back into this. Of course we are. Because... Arthur Conan Doyle got involved right. with it because he was a very good friend of Agatha Christie. And Beatrix. Um, and Beatrix. I feel like he really just the had squad. his... squad. Yeah, the squad. <laughs> I feel like he really just had his hand in every other author's pocket. He, really? he had to have. Mm-hmm. But he got involved. Um, he hired a psychic. Naturally. to Because, you know, in the 20s, like seances and mediums and things like that were such a like popular like conversation point so he hired a psychic to try and help find agatha christie as one does inconclusively i don't think that she actually helped find agatha um but she was found in a hotel using a fake name that was inspired by her husband's mistress. Ooh, (laughs) she really did that. (laughs) And she never talked about what she did for those two weeks, why she ended up there. She never talked about it at any point in her life, even in her autobiography. Whoa. Like she just didn't talk about it. Wow. We don't talk about Bruno. (laughs) (laughs) We don't talk about Bruno. (laughs) I mean, that is... That's it's, crazy. It's completely crazy. Like, wow. to just up and disappear. Mm-hmm. And for Arthur Conan Doyle to come hunting for you. With his psychic in With tow. his psychic in tow. Like, <laughs> his own Watson. Only Agatha. Uh, yeah. You know? Absolutely <laughs> wild. That's so good. We love it when, like, real stories like that sound like... That sounds like she wrote that. It sounds like she wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I guess that's, you know, that's part of it, is that... Truth is stranger than fiction. Oh, yeah. True. Yeah. That's true. a fun one. Fahrenheit 451 uh, was originally called The Firehouse, but then his publisher thought that was too boring. So Fahrenheit 451 is literally the temperature that paper burns at. But there's another little fact of that when you were saying that, mm-hmm. but it was it's misnamed. 451 is not the temperature paper burns at. 451 is the temperature that paper combusts at. Oh, okay. What I read, it says that paper will burn itself at or whatever, which that sounds So it will go. So if it's in an oven at 451 degrees, it will 
set aflame. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of misnamed in a way. Right. Because it it's not what... Like, it'll burn sooner than that. Yes. Yeah. It's not what he intended, but it's what we got. <laughs> and here we are. Here we are. This Side of Paradise by F. Scott Fitzgerald is the first printed use of the word t-shirt, as well as wicked, meaning cool. Like, wicked smart. What? Yeah. But that's like... Okay, that's really funny because that is a very... That shows that, like, things go in cycles because that's a very 90s thing. Yeah. Like, oh, Wicked. Wicked. Like, it's a very 90s thing. Yeah. Or Boston. And when was that book written? Like The 20s, I believe. Yeah, right. Which, he didn't invent those words, but it was just the first time they were printed. Used in that context. That's Mm -hmm. really cool. Then, another one I thought that was interesting was um, the first considered young adult novel is called 17th summer by maureen daly and it's from 1942 so like pre-world war ii young adult wasn't really considered a demographic like a like a genre yeah like you wouldn't write books for that audience of people that's really interesting yeah i never thought about that before because now ya is such like a staple it's a huge yeah i mean ya are some of the books that you know are the most circulated right that's so really that's interesting. where it originated, I guess. Hmm. All right. I have one more book fact, which I don't feel like this one's like really, um, this is not very little known, but we're going to talk about it. Um, we're going to talk about Fifty Shades of Grey for a minute. When you're talking about beautiful classic literature. Of course, that's, that's what you, you think of. <laughs> of course. Um, completely unrelated note. I have to say that one of the funniest statements ever made to me by a college professor was that Twilight is one of our generation's best works of literature. Like serious? He was being serious? He was being completely sincere. Did he have like an explanation? No. I mean, I didn't think I, okay. I read that book in middle school and at the time, yeah, it was phenomenal, but I don't know if I read it now, if I would still be like, wow, what a work of fiction. What a work of art. Yeah. It's, it was just interesting. And I always think of that anytime that I Or maybe it was an insult to our generation. Like the best you guys have to offer is Twilight. I didn't think about it that way. Maybe that's what he was saying. Like, my generation has blah blah, and wow. you guys just have Twilight. <laughs> really hope we're not af- like offending any of the Twihards. Right, like I'm a fan of that book. To me, it's more like silly and ridiculous because of the movie. Like I read the book a long time ago, but I've seen the movie again. You know, in my adult life, and oh, that is really cringeworthy. It like, does you not can't hold argue, up. You know, yeah. So it's. I feel like it gets most of its like fun poked at it from the movie. It- And I think that's fair. Um, So we're going to go on a little detour here. We're going to talk about me graduating high school and the senior (laughs) trip that I went on. To Forks, Washington. To Forks, Washington. Are you serious? I just made that up. (laughs) No, I am. I am absolutely serious. Oh, my gosh. I was just kidding. It was not made for that purpose. I went to Seattle for my senior trip. Yes. And I stayed there for two weeks. And... One of the days we decided, let's go to Forks. Naturally. There is nothing in that town. <laughs> there is a, um, there's the high school, which looks nothing like you would think it did. Mm-hmm. And there was, at the time, because it was 2009, we were in peak Twilight yes. time frame. 
Um, there was a Twilight store specifically. Oh, that's cool. that sold merch. Merch. Yeah. Wonder now if still in business. Uh, probably not. It's probably <laughs> pretty niche. dead. Too niche. <laughs> but I will say we also went a little further out and went to La Push Beach. Ah, uh, La Push is La Push. <laughs> and it was beautiful. Really? It was the first time I had ever seen the ocean. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, and okay, it was that's funny. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I know this is this is not related to our podcast at all, but I'm from California originally, and my husband is from Tennessee, and I, he saw the ocean for the first time with me, like when we went to visit That's my so family, special. which is so weird to me, like that you guys don't, you just don't we see don't the ocean. have ocean. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're landlocked. I don't yeah. know what to tell you. <laughs> Strange. Our final facts and quiz segment will be right after this break. April 23rd through 29th is National Library Week. But what does that mean? National Library Week encourages everyone to visit their local library and explore everything the library has to offer. If you're listening during our release week, come give us a chance. For every item you check out, you'll get an entry for a big drawing at the end of the week. That means just getting a book, DVD, thing from the Library of Things, or even an ebook could get you a gift card to one of your favorite places to shop. And if you don't have a card, come get one for 10 entries right off the bat. So anyway, that's my Twilight rant. Great um, rant, honestly. It does tie into this next fact, fact a little bit. Again, Fifty Shades of Grey. It was like the mid-2010s were insane for Fifty Shades of Grey. Mm-hmm. That is when I started working in libraries. Ooh, and I have never had people freak out about a book so much. Really? We kept the book. Now... Backstory: Kelly and I worked at the same library before we came to this library. Mm-hmm. We did not work together, but we worked for the same library. Yes. We kept our copies of Fifty Shades of Grey under the circulation desk, not on the floor. Oh. So people had to come in and request Fifty Shades of Grey specifically if they wanted it. Because it was scandalous? Because it was scandalous. Oh, you couldn't just like have it out. It was too saucy. So yeah, that's when I started working in libraries and people just went crazy for them. Um, Whether it was good or bad, it feels like everybody was coming in and asking for them. Yeah. And they had so much shame about asking for them. (laughs) You may have already known. It was written as a fan fiction. Yeah, of Twilight. Of Twilight. Right. So it started like that. It was posted... On a fan fiction website originally titled Master of the Universe was the original title of Fifty Shades of Grey. Wow. Under the author's pen name, Snow Queen Ice Dragon. Ooh. Which is very early 2000s hot topic. Like, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Very, very much that. Um, And so it was straight up a Twilight fan fiction. Wow. Um, And I guess that on that fan fiction website, she got so much feedback from it that she went and changed all of her names and fixed it up to be what we know today. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Plus, that's a really fun perspective of like... Yeah, working in libraries during... Because I bet people that were working in libraries in 2007, when the last Harry Potter book came out, have incredible stories to share. Oh, I'm sure. You know? I'm so sure. So that is an iconic time to be working it at the was, circulation desk. Yeah, it was definitely... Yeah, iconic is a word for it. Yeah. So, I have for you oh, yes. today a, a little game. <gasps> Ooh, there's props. Yes, there's props. This is just for the sake of... Um, Keeping it all straight. 
Today's quiz features answers from Whitney, Jennifer, Crystal, and Dinah in that order. These are the top five books that have ever sold as far as number of copies go. Okay. So what I would like for you to do is tell me of the following titles, which I will read for our listeners at home, do you think sold the best? So we have The Little Prince. We have Lord of the Rings. We have Don Quixote. We have Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And we have A Tale of Two Cities. So, of those five titles, which one do you think sold 500 million copies? The Little Prince. Um, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. Wait, no, not Lord of the Rings. That would probably be The Hobbit. So, Harry Potter. 500 million copies sold. I am going to guess that that is Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. I don't know the copyright dates on some of these. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm going to guess Lord of the Rings. Okay, well, I already know the answer from my research. No! <laughs> but I, I read the same thing, that Don Quixote with 500 million copies uh-huh. is the best, like the most sold book of all time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Okay, so second. Yeah, second. Okay. 200 million copies. 200 million copies. Don Quixote. The Little Prince. <laughs> I am going to guess that Lord of the Rings is 200 million. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Of this list, I'm going to go with... Is it Harry Potter? It is not. Is it the Little Prince? It is not. Sheesh, now I'm just going down the list. (laughs) (laughs) A Tale of Two Cities. That is correct. A Tale of Two Cities sold 200 million copies. Wow. 150 million. Tale of Two Cities. Lord of the Rings. I just don't think that many people were alive for Tale of Two Cities and Don Quixote. 150 million. A Tale of Two Cities. A Tale of Two Cities. Is that Harry Potter? Mm -mm. Are they like in order of age? Like whoever had the um, longest amount of time mm, to sell sold the most. <laughs> that might be the case. <laughs> well, okay. So here's the thing: is that you know, the surprise being that Don Quixote sold 500 million. Yeah. But it's also like 400 years old. Yeah. Like it's an it's had old, a long time to sell that many. It's copies. had a long time. Um. So that may have a little something to do with it. Right. Um. But you have Lord of the Rings is number three. Number three. Yeah. 142 million. Harry Potter. So next is going to be Don Quixote because it's probably a trick. Oh, I guess I'm going to guess Don Quixote on this one. Don Quixote. The Little Prince. And 107 million. Lord of the Rings. And then Tale of Two Cities. You know, I bet you Tale of Two Cities was number one. 107 million, I'm guessing, is The Little Prince. The Little Prince. That's the only one I haven't heard of. And then Harry Potter um, and the Sorcerer's Stone being 107 million. I think it'd be interesting for context, like 100 million copies of something, a.k.a. Harry Potter. Like, that's so much. Like, now, on our bestsellers of recent years, how many copies are they selling compared to 100 million? Let's let's put it this way. Mm-hmm. Um 
the sequel to It Ends With Us Mm -hmm. by Colleen Hoover. Mm -hmm. So it starts with us. Mm -hmm. By the end of release day, that novel sold 800,000 copies. Okay. Which is a huge... I mean, that's That's a ton in one day, but when you think about 107 million... Yeah. That is a lot. So Mm -hmm. nowadays, I would assume if your book sells a million copies, like you are wildly successful. Oh, yeah. So then when you... Think about it like, oh, it makes sense that J.K. Rowling is a billionaire because that's 100 times an impressive amount. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good <laughs> way know? to think of it. Like, like a oh, million yeah. Is a lot. Like a really impressive amount. But she sold one of her books sold, has sold 100 times that, that much over the course of 30 years that right. it's been out. Because yeah. I saw something yeah. in my research, too, about like the slowest selling book. And it was something like it was published in the 1500s and it took all the way to like the 1800s to sell its last copy from its first run. What? So like the amount of time a book has been out really factors into it too, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Even like with Harry Potter, it's been out for 30 years. Mm -hmm. So it has had more time to build up, even though it was really concentrated popular when it first came out. Right. All right. Well, that was our podcast about literature, authors, and books. Thank you so much for listening. We have a couple of other episodes out currently. Our first episode was about libraries. I've listened to it so many times it doesn't feel real. (laughs) And our next episode in our little launch set here is going to be about cookbooks. So excited. Listen to that now. And then our newest episode will be out two weeks on from our May the, yes, May 10th. May the 10th. And it will be about gardening and plants. Gardening and plants. We have a lot of really weird, like, interesting gardening and plant books. We sure do. We have a ton of gardening books. Yeah. Because I was looking personally the other day, and there were so many to choose from. It's a lot. Yeah. I'm excited. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Let us know what you want us to look into next. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. Yes, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.